Hey, it's Travis. Uh, sorry, today's episode is coming to you a little late because I got distracted by the mall episode. So, very brief announcements today. Uh, as you might already know, we have a store now, midnightdisease.net slash store. Uh, all it has right now is Filthy Guts' wonderful hotel postcard. We do still have some left. So... Go get those now if you want to support the show, support Filthy Guts, and get a delightful postcard for your troubles. We will also be launching a Patreon later this month, Um, and that's going to include uh, the bonuses like the ad-free, the bonus episodes, some behind-the-scenes stuff later on, uh, pins, that kind of stuff. Pacific is all over it, so be on the lookout for that. Okay, that's about it. Please enjoy this late episode of The Hotel. Through the dirty lobby windows, I can see forever. The flat horizon appears to go on forever. Dry brush dots the dirty sandy landscape, cut through by a strip of black asphalt that vanishes far beyond where I can see. We're stuck in a perpetual twilight. The purple night bleeding softly over the umber-orange dust just at the edges of the shadows. Like the cold breeze on a hot night that reminds you of endings. I can only assume the vista plays out in all directions, but my limited view is cramped further by the bungalows. Five of them curving out, cradling the lobby guiding the eye towards the road the guests may drive in on. I don't know how far down that road the guests are, or where the boundaries of the hotel herself begin. The wide windows let in comforting, contrasting shadows, and beams of harsh light that catch the considerable ambient dust over the sickly tiled floor and a short wooden table. A filthy couch rests next to a very old coffee pot that bubbles almost loud enough to drown out the buzzing fluorescent lights. My uniform tonight is as loud as the both of them. A turquoise pantsuit with thick black strips of velvet accenting the lines. The kerchief is a bit much, but at least the turquoise shoes are flats. I busy myself with my work opening the guest book and checking again for the reservation card. It's late today. The owner works in his own time. Prerogative of privilege, I can wait. I glance at the supply closet door by the front desk. My view from the front desk may be limited, but my lobby boy starts most nights in cramped darkness and he won't even come out until he's needed. Dust glints as it drifts to nowhere through the light crossing my front desk. My hand is hovering over the front desk bell. If I never rang it, I wonder, would he ever come out? The owner appears, standing in a ray of light before me, My eyes try to register his unfolding from a point of nothing, spinning up seemingly from one of a trillion motes of dust. 
Or maybe my eyes just needed to adjust to the afternoon light. He doesn't say a word, but he glowers at my hand, still hanging over the bell. He slowly turns his head to the supply closet. He then makes a big show of slowly turning around, shoulders straight and tall, hands on his hips, as if investigating the lobby for the guest. He keeps turning in a slow circle until he faces me again, hands open and upward, meeting my eyes with a silent, mocking question. What are you doing? I clench my teeth together, biting back a reaction. Holding his gaze as long as I can, I slowly turn my head to the private office door behind me. I turn back to face him again, and I flip my hand, still poised over the front desk bell, upward, answering his question with a silent one of my own. Where's my damn card? He scoffs lightly and pulls it from his jacket pocket, dropping it onto my hand. It's bent and reads simply, Mr. Platt. No first name. The owner saunters to a percolator and pours himself a cup of nearly pitch black burnt coffee. The smell fills the room pleasantly. He plops himself down on the couch, sending a tiny layer of phantasmagoric dust up that clings to the air around him. He takes a noisy sip from his small white cup. I feel one of my teeth crack. Maybe I've already begun to rot. Maybe. But he hasn't. He's just sitting on that couch, and he doesn't need the hotel to mask anything to appear healthy and alive when the guest arrives. When I check him in, when my lobby boy takes him to the room he built, the owner will just sit on that couch, apparently watching. Watching us work while he files everything we do and say, measure its value and its worth. Reporting it back to the hotel in an endless parade of paperwork and audits. I don't know what use the hotel has for this man. What function he serves, what he provides her. What she needs him to do, why is he allowed to freely and idly roam anywhere and everywhere inside her halls and rooms and many, many stories while we maintain guest after guest after guest? But there are many things we don't know at the hotel. As many mysteries as there are rooms, perhaps. I can't understand them all any more than I can enter each room. He sips his coffee and stares at me. I do know that despite his station, the power the hotel may grant him, I run this lobby. I manage the guests. I make the decisions night after night, 
to ensure everything runs smoothly. And I am free to do that however I see fit. However we see fit. I stare right back at him when I ring the front desk bell. He bristles and sits up, swallowing the rest of his coffee and sneering. I guess something left a bad taste in his mouth. He can put it in a report. My lobby boy is dressed tragically similar to me. Black slacks and a coral-colored short-sleeve button-up with black accents. His hard-bottomed coral-colored shoes come to a stop immediately when he sees the owner sitting on the couch, glaring at him with bright eyes. With no guest to check in, he looks to me for instruction or comfort. I have neither to give. His usual post in the front of the desk would put him much closer to the owner than he wants. He can go practically anywhere in the hotel, even outside, when it has an outside. But right now, the only place he can go is between me and the owner. I tap the edge of Mr. Platt's bent reservation card on the front desk with pointed intention. Come here. He hesitates. And in that hesitation, that tiny moment, the owner scoffs again lightly and drops his styrofoam cup carelessly on the floor. The dregs of his coffee join the collection of stains by the wooden table. I tighten my lips and feel another tooth crack. The lobby boy now has to reckon with my bright glare. That shakes him loose, and he quickly grabs a rag and bottle to clean up the mess. He tries not to look at the owner as he scuttles over. The owner stands up brusquely as soon as the lobby boy gets close startles him enough to drop the plastic bottle with a noisy clatter. Their eyes meet, the lobby boy reacting without thinking, and he freezes. The owner steps aside, grabbing a new foam cup and filling it again with steaming coffee. He leans against the wall and watches. As the lobby boy starts cleaning the mess, the owner sips his coffee. No, not sips, drinks, in one long, sustained, even gulp, he is draining the hot coffee with purpose. Just as my lobby boy is finishing his task, the owner finishes too. But his cup isn't empty. Steam is rising hotly, catching the light and obscuring the owner's expression from me fully. The lobby boy freezes, too afraid to stand up, aware the owner has frozen as well. For a moment, the three of us regard each other, silent save for the buzzing light of the hotel. Oof! Smells like coffee in here! 
We three in quiet unison turn our heads to the front door of the lobby. Mr. Platt, in plaid pants and a white button-up shirt dotted with sweat, is fanning himself with his hat, matching jacket folded over his arm. He smiles toothily and walks right through the tension and sets his bag by the desk on his way to the coffee pot. Excuse me, partner? He reaches over my lobby boy for one of the small white cups. Hey, big guy, help a fella out? He holds out his cup to the owner, indicating that his other hand is too occupied cooling him down with his hat to pour his own coffee. He's looking around the lobby, nodding approvingly at everything, not really taking in anything. <laughs> the owner and the lobby boy look to me, and I purse my lips and nod my head, pointing it to the coffee pot. Guest service above all. The owner rolls his eyes and obliges Mr. Platt. Thank you, sir. Ooh, bad coffee. You look like the woman in charge here. Any chance one of those bungalows is free for a night? Of course, I say. Bungalow 5 is free, I say. Plenty of privacy. Mr. Platt signs the guest book lazily as he leans on my desk, grimacing with each sip of coffee and shooting a friendly smile to the staff, still watching from the corner. I give him his key and snap my fingers with enough force to break through my lobby boy's fearful stupor. He rushes over and takes Mr. Platt's bag, mumbling his, right this way, sirs out the door in a hurry. Mr. Platt shrugs at me and raises his cup to the owner in thanks before jogging after him. We watch them through the open door and dirty windows as they cut across the sand and gravel to the farthest beige bungalow, dust clouding up in their wake. The owner sets his cup down and starts across the lobby to follow them. I step out from behind my desk, matching him. He stops, so I stop. His eyes, looser now in sinking sockets, flick toward them, then back to me. I narrow mine back at him. Doing so squeezes some putrid liquid from their inner corners. He takes another step, so I take another step. Outside, the guest is handing his coffee to my lobby boy so he can unlock the room door. The owner, taking slow, even strides, goes back to the coffee pot and pours himself a third cup of the night. He smiles at me, or his skin is pulled away from his mouth enough to mimic one raises his cup and... He appears again several yards away, outside the lobby and in the endless afternoon sun. I move to the doorway, gritting my teeth so hard now one snaps off in my jaw. I spit it out through the lobby door and onto the gravel drive 
I feel a wave move through my body like a passing swell in a rainstorm, and I know it won't be long now. Out there, outside the hotel, I can see the sickly white of the owner's skull catching the orange sunlight. He's watching the bungalow, though. Not a glance or gloat sent my way. Shreds of dry skin and cloth float on the soft wind with a tiny layer around him as he rigidly watches my lobby boy help the guest to his room. I unball my fists, but the reservation card is already soaked to mush in my putrefying hands. I put it in my pocket anyway. It was bent anyway. Bent, broken, or gone. It's mine, though. For now. That's the way the hotel wants it. That's the way the hotel wants all of us. Just as we are. Until we aren't. Perhaps that's what the owner struggles with. Perhaps... Perhaps he isn't testing me. Perhaps he isn't even auditing right now. But he is watching. Intently. With nothing else to do. Nothing to provide, no longer needed, and nowhere to go. I, too, watch. My spoiling body breaking down soaking this tacky uniform with worse than sweat, and as my eyes begin to dissolve, streams of thick liquid rot run down my face. Hey, this is Travis with a brief ad break. Thanks for listening. Now back to The Hotel. I step out of the darkness and into the terrible light of the hotel. All things here belong to her, are her. Even the sun here is her, burning and blinding. I can feel it on my skull the same way I can feel the coffee warming my bones. Do I drink her? Is the drink itself manifest? I don't know. Any more than I know if I'm outside, standing on sunny gravel. Inside, outside, they have little meaning to me here. In a heartbeat, I could be in the bungalow with Mr. Platt and the lobby boy, or one of the other bungalows. Or the third story. Yes, even now, the hotel has a third story. Somewhere, an endless void that I can fill with paperwork. I was there earlier tonight, after I prepared the reservation card. I glanced through Mr. Platt's file in the private office. It contained much, his entire life in detail. 
I reduced him again to a name, a disposable card. I brought his file back to the third story, and I heaved it onto a pile of loose reports, where it slid open and blurred amongst the other pages. The hotel grumbled at me, but her thunder receded, and I remained. We always remain. No matter how many ways we die, how many versions of ourselves we are twisted into, we remain. Inside, outside, alive, dead. I drink my coffee and feel its warmth. I can go anywhere I please, as long as it's in the hotel. I don't need to go anywhere to see it all, though. I can see the lobby boy limping out of the bungalow ahead. He stops when he sees me, staring him down. He looks again to the manager, rotting her life away in the open lobby door, always looking to her. I can feel her eyes on me, and her rage. I have it too. The lobby boy waits in front of the guest door, unsure of what I might do if he makes the wrong move. As if there were such a thing here. The sun beats down on him. I wonder if that makes him rot faster. He jumps slightly when the guest's muffled screams begin. He doesn't need to see to feel what's going on in there, to know what's happening. He built the room, after all. Does he look? Does he turn inward and see the guest, immobile and confused? He's squeamish, but diligent. Can he feel satisfaction at a job well done, yet pity the guest as he cries out? And the guest does cry out, held in place, splayed out between the beds and the TV set. Mr. Platt doesn't understand. He panics and shouts his confusion. A moment ago, his life was so mundane, and now it's horrific beyond his comprehension. Nothing has even truly begun yet. The pain... The dying, these things are coming, and with them will come new screams. But for now, he's just unable to move, hovering several inches off the ground, arms held up above him. There can be no rational explanation, so he has no rational reaction for it, except the last rational reaction that is always left to the guests. Mindless terror. The lobby boy trembles, despite the mild heat, though I can't tell if it's me or the guest that's upsetting him more. He doesn't have to stand there, listening. He doesn't have to stand there, being watched by me. He could hide in another room, hide in his closet. He could march right back into the lobby and pour himself a cup of coffee. But he stands there, paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by indecision, 
while his body rots away. Sand passes through the tears forming in my suit. The light dips and shadows creep closer with a cool promise to drive away the heat. If only we would stay a little longer. But Mr. Platt sounds another scream, piercing this time, and I know none of us will be here much longer. And I know each of us will never leave. I take a step toward the lobby boy as he stops his shaking. The guest's low moaning weaves in between the wind. He's being pulled apart. Some force in there, something the lobby boy put in there, is going to take this man, piece by piece, away from himself, in a sense. I look without eyes and see the joints of his extremities loosen and pull and pop. He doesn't sag, the tension keeps him tight, but it doesn't come with any relief. It pulls and pulls, stretching his body past where he thought it could, farther and farther, past where he knows it should. The lobby boy is standing so stiffly now that he begins to tremble again, this time from the effort. Every time he tries to still himself, every bend of the neck or flex of the fingers locks him in a little more. As his body fails from disuse or overuse, it sets painfully. I step closer, and despite the distance, he tenses up, trying to hold a professional pose. His back won't yield, and he winces. When the guest screams again, he jumps, and his shoulder pops out, hanging loose in his toughening skin. I don't have much skin left myself, and I sip my coffee, moving my arm easily, smoothly. I can't taste it anymore, though. I can feel its heat as it falls over my bones. I can feel the texture of the cup in what's left of my hand. But its essence, its purpose, is now purely theatrical. I suppose it always was. I crush the cup in my hand and let the rest of the coffee pour down my arm, soak my sleeve, stain the rocks at my feet. Inside Bungalow 5, something starts dripping down to the guest's feet as well. Skin is pliable, but tears easily. I know this. I unball my bony fist and let the cup join its contents on the ground of the hotel. The wind picks it up and blows it toward the lobby boy. He looks at it with pale, empty eyes, and I wonder what he sees. Cup or construct? I feel a pointed nothing burning silently on the side of my face. Half turning, I see the manager is still standing in the shady threshold of the hotel lobby. Duty compels her to stay there by the front desk, 
by her private office. Perhaps more than duty. She prides herself on taking care of the hotel completely. It runs like a clock under her watch. A hundred tiny gears and rings, coils, pins, all working together in unison. But this clock ticks on with such ferocity that any grain of sand that works its way in is ground out, crushed by the machination into something smaller than dust. And she bears the heavy responsibility of winding it. Endlessly the hands must circle, the heart must beat, and the guests must die. So she stays in the lobby. Her torso sags down into her hips, and she locks her knees as tightly as she still can, trying to stay standing as long as possible. I make a mental note of it. A staff on their feet projects a more professional image to the guests. She's been grinding her teeth, though. I can see them, worn down, broken, when her jaw goes slack and unhinges. Some rotten poison slides off her face and out of her mouth and puddles at her feet. She just folds her arms and stares at me. A bad attitude is not insubordination, and therefore requires no corporate action. And as a member of management, she is due a certain level of... respect. But in this moment, I am glad enough of my face has fallen away that my expression is unreadable. There's a terrible light in her eye that burns a little harsher at me through the shadow of the hotel she stands in, and I know she doesn't need to see my face to know exactly how I feel. I rush over to the lobby boy before he can react, my jacket whirling up clouds of dust from the hotel's gravel floor. Nothing between me and the door to Bungalow 5, except for him. He shakes almost audibly and winces as his stiff body revolts against the sudden movement. I put my thick, bony hand on his shoulder, squeezing him into stillness. He complies. He even holds his breath. I glance back over my shoulder at the lobby, at the manager, stiff and straight as a board, hands clenched so tight she's dripping out of her palms. She's leaning forward, trying to hold her body together with sheer force of will, but still in the lobby. I press on the lobby boy's shoulder, pushing him slowly to the side, out of my way, back into her field of vision. They both relax, very slightly. I turn to face her, straightening his uniform lightly with one hand, while my other searches behind me for the doorknob. I turn it roughly and crack the door open. Mr. Platt's pained wails and the hot scent of sweat and blood rush out into a noisy panic. Before I whirl into the room, 
I give the boy a push toward his manager with a final painful squeeze of his shoulder that lets him know I'm not done with you yet. The door slams shut behind me, closing out the sunlight provided by the hotel. The heavy curtains are drawn closed, but bluish light manages to intrude at the edges of the window and onto the grisly scene of the room. Mr. Platt's arms and legs are stretched, just far enough that he has to know there can be no saving them, no saving him. His fingers twitch and curl with movements beyond his control. As his nerves and muscles and ligaments tense and pop, his body appears to struggle, independent of any clear wishes of his own. It's a natural reaction that goes beyond even pain. Not the spasms of death, not yet, but a close relation. The jerking dance of dying. One of his hips comes loose from his pelvis, and this sends some new threshold of pain through his nervous system. He doesn't scream this time. He inhales so quickly and so sharply that there isn't anything left for a scream. His eyes flutter, and his shoulders shudder as sweat pours down his face in runny globs. I can't tell if he's noticed me or not. I can't imagine he hasn't, but I would understand if he were too distracted to say hello. I step in front of this man, stuck in space and horror. Oh yes, he's noticed me. He's breathing in short, quick breaths now, adrenaline doing what it can to keep him alive. His heart is beating so hard, I can see the blood surging through the veins, bulging on his neck. I can almost hear it. We're nose to nose, the force suspending him having lifted him high enough now to meet me. His mouth quivers, and I know he's trying to speak to me. I can't tell if he fears me, if he understands that I am part of this, that I knew this would happen, that I want it to happen. I helped make it happen. Would it matter to him if he knew? Would he try to reason with me? Beg me to help him? Beg me to kill him and end his suffering? I will never know, any more than he will ever understand what happened here tonight. Before he can form a single word, I hear the pop from his other hip, and a wet tearing sound that's quickly covered by a surprisingly loud shriek from Mr. Platt. His leg has finally freed itself from the rest of him, and the blood faucets down his pant leg, dripping off his foot onto the floor. I step back as the blood spreads and pools nearer to my decaying, polished shoes. His shriek slows to a warbling, gurgling, grunting moan. His head doesn't drop. He's still being forced into his place, 
arms up, legs out. But there's a slackness to his face now, a dimming. Hope is being replaced with knowledge. The knowledge he's had all his life, but only now understands. He's going to die. He hardly reacts when the rest of his limbs are pulled free. Forced grunts that sound almost like questions, fluttering eyes, and blood has started to drool out his open mouth. He doesn't die, even though most of his blood has to be on the carpet by now. I back up further, bumping into the nightstand by the bed. As his rib cage expands and his head is pulled up and away from his neck, my bones give out as well. I collapse as my legs crumble, holding myself up between the twin beds for as long as I can. My head droops, suddenly too heavy for my neck. I use the last of my strength to look up at the guest instead. No anger or remorse or fear in those eyes. Nothing except that last shadow of being only technically alive. What he sees in the hollow sockets of my empty skull, only he knows. I contemplate leaving, if I can, back to the void, back to my office on the third story. I'm sure Mr. Platt thought something similarly foolish before we both fold to pieces together. The Hotel was created and produced by Travis McMaster and Mark Witten. Starring Kelly Ninaltowski as the manager. Mark Witten as the lobby boy. Graham Rowett as the owner. And Krista Lewis. Music by Lauren Picorni, West Rodri, and special guest composer Zach Tatum Drake. <laughs> <laughs>